From the Omaha Bugle Global News Headquarters, this is the Global News Network with Senior Correspondent Jeff Weaver and Senior Correspondent Adam Von Romer. Mr. Weaver, once again, we are back at the Global News Network desk of the Omaha Bugle, and we're going to begin our broadcast day with an article that I believe that you so lovingly authored, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this. This kind of speaks to a lot of the stuff we've been seeing lately, and certainly a lot of the stuff that you and I have been sitting around scratching our heads at, and I think you called it another day, another indictment, and in your article, you start out saying that Trump seems to create or collect indictments like people who collect stamps or classic cars. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't appear to be the case that he does know how to get a lot of people mad enough to sue him, even when he doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like, well, we were going to hop on the bandwagon over the hair, but it's like, what could possibly be next? Well, I think you'd have to get in line at the courthouse to file a complaint at this point. It seems to be gotten totally out of hand with the number of actors that have weighed in trying to get an indictment procured and to go after him. Mm-hmm. You know, Adam, it would probably be a good idea to, before we get into these various indictments, is to sort of talk about how the indictment works, because I think a lot of people are under the impression that it's like a courtroom proceeding where you have both sides there and you're presenting your witnesses, the other side presents their witnesses, and you have the ability to cross-examine the other side's witnesses. And, you know, the idea being, of course, that hopefully one side's able to demonstrate that there's a stronger degree of evidence in favor of their position and get a decision. Right, right. But with these indictments, they're convened by, in some cases, the Attorney General or Special Counsel, in the case of this fellow Jack Smith, who's with the U.S. Department of Justice, and seems to have a thing for filing lawsuits against Trump, but then again, so do so many other people. Mm -hmm. But basically, grand jury proceedings are secret proceedings, and they're convened by the particular attorney. In this case, it could be Jack Smith, or it could be somebody out of the New York State Attorney General's office if you want to mm-hmm. deal with the controversy over Trump basically <laughs> paying... It's, it's hush paying, money? Well, paying money to keep extramarital affair confidential. So, anyways, the thing that goes on with these grand jury proceedings is essentially you can get an indictment for almost anything because the person that you're going to be proceeding against isn't present. They don't have lawyers present or anything. They don't obviously even know at that point that they're being investigated Mm -hmm. necessarily. And so it's pretty much one side telling their story and presenting the evidence however they want to present it. Right. And the thing that happens is a lot of the rules of evidence that would limit the types of documents or statements or whatever that would be considered in a courtroom Mm -hmm. are kind of tossed aside here. It's much more freewheeling. Mm -hmm. It's much more open-ended. Right. Can I stop you for a second? And maybe you can clear something up for me here. Effectively, it sounds like what happens or is what's happening is, yeah, this brag character or, you know, any number of other people are just essentially walking into a grand jury and saying, here's what we're accusing Donald Trump of. We'd like an indictment. Now, again, help me to understand, what's the purpose of the indictment? Is that to start the court case? Is that to lead to some type of, I mean, I know he's been fingerprinted and photographed and all that, but I mean, what's the actual function of that indictment? I mean, it's not like a criminal charge, is it? 
it's really where the prosecutor is essentially trying to convince the grand jury, who's basically a bunch of people who have been called to serve and couldn't come up with an excuse to get out of serving. Right. They essentially are told whatever the prosecutor wants them to hear, and right. the prosecutor essentially tries to get them to agree to issue indictment based on the story and the evidence that supports that story. Right. And, and then you proceed from there. So it's not hard to get a indictment issued. I mean, it's, I'm sure you or I could be the subject of many indictments, uh, uh-huh. but that's the start of the whole process when right. you get into these types of proceedings. And the thing is, because it's relatively easy for the prosecution to get an indictment issued because because again, they don't have the limitations on them in a grand jury proceeding. The other side doesn't have any lawyers there arguing or mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a monologue almost of just one side. And mm-hmm. if you're playing to an audience that is probably going to be inclined to be hostile to somebody like Trump, a really blue state, for example, right? Then it's probably not too difficult. Oh well, uh, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, but is the function of the grand jury to somehow create an arrest warrant, or I mean, what's that function? Are well, they no, saying there's a reasonable grounds to go and grab this guy? Charging procedure. I don't. Again, I'm not familiar with a lot of the details of this, but it's really just the initiation of charges. Because then you got to go through the whole thing where you show up, you get arraigned at court, the charges are read to you, mm-hmm. and then from that point it goes on to a trial, presumably at some point, unless I guess they plead to some kind of compromise resolution. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, I mean, we could go, you and I could go to you know, Smoky Bones with a bunch of our buddies, convene a grand jury, give our side of the story, and presumptively we could walk out with an indictment? Well, yeah, but it's a good story, sure. Doesn't have to be factual, just has to be a good story. I think you want it to be factual. I assume there's still some concern about prosecutorial overreach, but we've seen mm. a bit of that already. Yeah. And certain of these people, no matter how much they overreach, should not seem to be disciplined in any way by their respective state bars. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting thing with Jack Smith because there were several commentators, and I think Jonathan Turley, you know, the professor, the legal professor who shows up on various news shows periodically, he was saying that Jack Smith is somewhat notorious for essentially stretching the law to fit factual pattern that doesn't ordinarily fall within the ambit of certain charges. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he was the one that got the conviction on the former Virginia governor, McDonald, and he really kind of again stretched the law to apply to the facts and that was that conviction was reversed by the US Supreme Court like an 8080 decision you don't see right. too many zero decisions so that must have been a bit of a sobering outcome but here we are again sobering sounds like a kind way of saying a spanking he got spanked but I would think so. I love this article and some of the terminology, but here's the first one that just, like I said, is shocking to me. To date, according to you and other sources, this isn't just Jeff saying it, Donald Trump has spent upwards of 58 to $60 million of campaign money and maybe his own cash in some combination to essentially defend himself against these charges. Yeah. Their estimates, and basically most of it's been funded by super PACs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you and I talked about before, you can be a billionaire on paper, but it doesn't mean if you have a billion dollars of value, it doesn't mean you have a hundred million in cash laying around. Mm-hmm. You may have very, very little cash laying around. So mm-hmm. if you can find some little bit of help from a super PAC or two, or not such a bad thing, but it just kind of underscores the enormous waste of money this whole process is. I mean, you just think of the nature of the charges 
cases. And what we have seen is that there have been a number of legal scholars, Dershowitz and Turley being the foremost, oh, yeah. who have just kind of basically just said over and over again, whether it was with New York State charges, the improper business record mm-hmm. thing blown up into a felony through massive contortions, mm-hmm. or the other two cases filed by Smith, you know, the document retention case in mm-hmm. Marga and the most recent case, of course, regarding the statements by Trump supposedly attempting to overturn the election, you know, which they were sort of trying to make into sedition. And mm-hmm. in, I'm sure they would love to have gone to sedition and treason, but I think they ultimately decided <laughs> that was really too much of a reach even for them. Too much of a stretch. <laughs> Too much of a stretch. That to me is hard to believe, that he couldn't stretch the legal definition to match that. The question, the question that came up in my mind, and I keep coming back to this, is how much of this do you think is you know, either Mr. Bragg or Mr. Smith preparing for, as I was say, the afterlife, the life after they're you know, an attorney general? Being, in fact, I thought Bragg is a particularly good name for this guy, so he gets bragging rights when he's out of office to say, I'm the guy who prosecuted Donald Trump. I mean, because honestly, it sounds to me as if even Alan Dershowitz and Turley are saying, listen, there's really nothing here. So is this just prosecutorial grandstanding, maybe? Well, I was wondering the same thing, Adam. Is this really a, something to set oneself up for higher office or well, you know, or uh, a cushy job at a left-leaning think tank? Or well, that's even what I'm a- thinking. Yeah, when you're in the private sector, you walk out and you get a nice job at a think tank or, as you put, maybe even a very large law firm where you oh, can yeah. turn your publicity into profit. And that, never mind the best-selling book that you can peddle if you're on the right side of the political spectrum. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I wonder just how much of this is actually part of that, because it sounds, based on what you're telling me, like there's not a whole lot of substance here. And if Alan Dershowitz, who we both know has been a lifelong Democrat, and certainly, let's just say, antagonistic to the Trump campaign at best, says he doesn't think there's anything here. Turley certainly doesn't think there's anything here. It's almost like qui bono. Who benefits from this? Well, you know, you and I have talked about politicization of justice in America, which Mm -hmm. is with the Department of Justice and it being used to selectively prosecute particular individuals. And you know, we just don't have the precedent of a sitting president using the Department of Justice to go after the former president who is his most likely rival in the next election. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's so like a banana republic type of scenario. And mm-hmm. it's incredibly divisive and incredibly destructive. And let's face it, I think we all think that all these things are basically to wear out the Trump campaign and to maybe cause the public to think there's so many indictments. You know, a lot of these so-called low-information voters are going to say, well, there must be something here. You know, look at all these lawsuits. They Surely they wouldn't be filing all these lawsuits if there wasn't something yeah. to go after. Mm-hmm. And- well, I think to your point, I love this. Sludgy lawfare. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My term is fine, I know, but... It kind of gets back to that whole idea of filing lawsuits to wear down an opponent and Mm -hmm. to back them. You know, kind of like, in a way, what they tried to do when Trump was in office, where the impeachments, it was all distraction. It obviously impacts the power of your office when you're having to spend so much of your time and energy focusing on impeachments. Mm -hmm. And this just seems to be a continuation of that. But it's just, to me, I think you and I both talked about this being such a dangerous precedent. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you and I both have said that. The other thing that I really, really, really find just 
just horrible about this is you've got a situation where essentially Bragg and Smith and whoever else are playing with the house's money and they have absolutely no compunction whatsoever about spending millions of taxpayer dollars to file what my friends in New Jersey would call Fugazi charges. <laughs> and he's got to come in, throw down $60 million of real money that somebody paid for to defend right. himself. And I just, I'm sitting here and simultaneously amazed and appalled that this could even happen. And to your point, the prosecutorial grandstanding that's going on, how is this just like not attracting any attention. Why is this going on? I believe the word they like to use periodically is frivolous and vexatious. I mean, this is, if this ain't frivolous, I don't know what is. I think the sad thing is that there are just so many people who have a, shall we say, an almost pathological hatred of Trump on one side of the aisle. I mean, he's as polarizing as anybody's ever been. Right. And they don't really care. A lot of them just want to get the guy. Yeah, whatever and they the, can do to get him, let's get him. You and I are not apologists for him. I mean, we certainly have called out things that we thought were <laughs> unacceptable on his behalf over and over again. But, oh, absolutely. But I think the thing is, there's a greater story going on here that you're really seeing the country just become more and more tribal and more disunified. And, you know, we get so caught up in trying to, you know, take shots at the other side that we sort of forget that there are dangerous adversaries outside the borders, the Chinas, the Russias, the Irans of the world, that would have oh, yeah. actually no problem seeing something horrible happen to the people of this country. And it just... Oh, that would, they would love nothing more than that. And the distraction that this engenders, I think, just plays to their agenda. Oh, yeah. And certainly you keep the American public's attention diverted and it's kind of like we joke about the magicians and stuff. I mean, don't look over here, look over here, you know? Don't look no, at what don't. I'm doing. Look over yeah. here. Well, the other thing that's really a sad comment, which sort of just keeps reverberating or reappearing through these various lawsuits is they're extremely repetitive. The Bragg lawsuit filed in New York, which basically was just the same count talking about essentially a misdemeanor at best under New York law, but it was essentially inaccurate bookkeeping when you get right down to it, which you could have who gets prosecuted for that. Not too many people. Right. You know, he had almost 30 counts of just repeating the same charge over and over and over again. He would change the setup a little bit. It might be an invoice. It might be a check, but it's always related to this same charge in every single count, which prompted that comment by Dershowitz that it was extraordinarily inept in terms of being a, you know, a viable legal complaint again. Right. Trump. And then you get Smith then going in on the document retention lawsuit, and he right. goes on for 30-odd charges. 31 of those charges, it was the same charge, but they just referenced a different document. It could be a one-page document. So to put the number of charges, let's just refer to each piece of paper, each single document. <laughs> Individually? So I'm thinking, okay, you could have done that in one charge and just listed the documents, but no, we're going to do it in 31. Well, and, and Jeff, you know, the question that immediately pops in my mind is, what's the benefit of that? Yeah, I would think you put in this document, this document, this document, this document, not 37 or 32 or 31 different citations. I mean, what's other than making it look really voluminous? I mean, what's the benefit? Well, I think it plays to the public. I mean, they're trying to create an image 
that this guy's really bad. And a lot of people who don't pay attention to anything, they hear, well, there were 38 counts filed in the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case. Well, there must right. be some really stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. Well, 31 of them are related to a single document. And the other part of that we get into is we don't even know how big a deal any of these documents were. I mean, this is a retention thing, which is not typically a felony. And I think that was something that Dershowitz had talked about, that this is not something that's typically a Mm -hmm. big deal. Right. And then you've got the other seven charges or separate counts, which are basically obstruction of -hmm. justice charges because they didn't give all the documents over. They didn't find them. I mean, I saw the pictures of those piles of banker boxes all around Mar-a-Lago. And Mm -hmm. I could certainly see having just moved into an office and having moved tons of boxes and everything. (laughs) You could get a couple of classified documents wrapped up in there and not know what you're doing. But I was going to say, you just moved offices. I mean, you're probably still digging stuff out. Yeah, well, we're getting to the end. But it's not to say that there weren't some there because obviously there was references to certain documents being there that I guess Trump talked about. Mm-hmm. I don't think he showed anybody, but I think he bragged about it. So that mm-hmm. probably wasn't a very smart thing to do. Well, but That speaks to our conversation about, we might not like him, but that's a far cry from having an indictment. Well, then the other thing is, why are they going after him for these documents whereby Hillary accidentally deletes her 30,000 yeah. emails and her software engineer accidentally bleaches the hardware drive? Yeah. The hard yeah. drive. I've tried to clear a hard drive myself. It's not something you can accidentally do that I'm aware of. I don't think it's easy to do either. Uh, no. Mm-mm. But And then, of course, the companion matter is Joe Biden and the boxes of classified documents sitting in his garage at his Delaware house. Mm-hmm. What me worry? Kind of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so why weren't they prosecuted? Because Trump's the only one of the three that can argue that he declassified the documents. Neither Hillary nor Biden were ever president, so they didn't have that power to even make the argument. So. I like this comment you had in here about Dershowitz saying that it was inept. I think he said it's, uh, what is it, it's scandalously inept. 34 counts 16 repetitive pages, scandalously inept. Now, what's that say about our justice system when purportedly the highest, let's say the highest ranking member of the state judicial system has just authored a document that a leading legal scholar would say is scandalously inept? Well, of course, I don't know who actually authored the document. That guy, Bragg, was the district attorney for the, I guess, the Southern District of New York. And mm-hmm. not the state attorney general, but presumably oh, no? okay. she must have seen, I think her name is, actually, I'm sorry, I don't remember her name offhand, but I got to believe that they saw everything that he put together before it was filed. And they're not going to want that sort of thing going out, even though it was tied to Manhattan and not the rest of New York State. So mm-hmm. it just seems to me that they all thought it was a great idea. And they just did this so-called charge stacking, you know, where you're just very repetitive, very redundant. I think you or I could have done that as a one or two count complaint and covered everything. It would have mm-hmm. been like three pages or something. And that would have been that, but that would not have gotten the attention because I don't know about you, but I remember seeing a number of reporters breathlessly talking about how many counts there were on, they yeah. didn't know what was, they didn't understand them, but they knew there was 36 There's counts. lots of them. Yeah, there were lots of them. So something must be going on here. Lots of them. <laughs> if that becomes a litmus test for, you know, guilt or innocence, boy, boy, are we headed in the wrong direction? Well, it would be interesting if they get a judge and I think the judge for the document case 
was actually, may have been a Trump appointee, but one of the judges would ostensibly be a little more sympathetic, <laughs> mm -hmm. but to that side politically. But it would be interesting to see if these things get winnowed down at all or if the deep Trump's lawyers start making motions to pair these documents down just to tick off the other side. But the other question, though, really is how quickly or how much you want to drag this thing out? Because I assume once these things go to trial, that's going to suck up some time. And then you got the presidential primary season starting mm -hmm. in a few months. Do you Would the strategy be better to just get it over with than take an appeal, get it up to the Supreme Court, who you presume, based on their more conservative orientation, would probably be inclined to throw this whole thing out because sure. I mean that would be my thought I was frankly wondering though if their plan is to just drag it out which is probably the basic instinct most people have drag it out but if you've got a clock ticking I mean you really don't want to be running for president with a conviction on your head you'd really like in my opinion if you get convicted by a New York jury or something or a Washington DC jury you would like to have that removed assuming the Supreme Court's going to remove it for it not mm -hmm. being really sufficient before what do you the election. Think? You'd think you'd want to get it out, get it over with, and move on, and certainly do that as quickly as possible. Yeah, I would think so. Plus, the other part of it is you're just bleeding money with this. I mean, mm -hmm. the lawyers are probably fine with this thing dragging out because this will float their law firms for the next year. But you, you know, imagine but, the billable hours they're cranking out right now. I know. The thing that's so funny, Adam, when you see the dynamics of how big firms bill is mm -hmm. that it just becomes a massive morass. And they're dealing with issues that are really not that complicated, you know, mm -hmm. as far as allegations are. So, you know, as Turley said, he thinks it's basically a free speech situation right. with regard to the most recent four-count indictment, you know, which basically was alleging that Trump's statements about the election being rigged and fraudulent and so on and so forth. <laughs> I mean, clearly saying that's all free speech, that's protected. You can bitch and moan and complain to your heart's content. They can't lock you up for that. And I think that's a fair comment. I don't think that you want to put any constraints on somebody's ability to contest an election to seek redress. Well, again, and, you know, you brought up a good point. I mean, at what, like you said, in I think one of our prior broadcasts is free speech is protected unless you go into the middle of a theater and yell fire. At what point does you having an opinion become illegal and punishable by, what did they say, 55 years in prison and a $700,000 fine or something? Yeah, probably more than that, to be honest with you, but you pile on all these things. The Don would be in prison for a few generations, I think. Yeah, that's, that's kind of like one of those, you give the guy 13 consecutive life sentences. After the first one, what does it even matter? You know, we got to revive him and put him back in jail again. I don't think that's really, I don't think that really serves the public's best interest. I love this, and we can't forget this, that Bragg himself ran on the, I'm going to make Trump accountable platform. That sounds to me as if it's almost a personal vendetta and certainly not something that's serving the interest of New York and or Manhattan. I just don't see the linkage there. Yeah, well, really, how do you even hold yourself out as being a representative of the people when you're basically saying, I'm going to go after some of the people that I don't like? And, of course, he's playing to a very receptive audience. Most of them don't like Trump up there anyways. Right. Well, isn't the famous Statue of Justice openly wearing a blindfold? I believe so. I believe and what so. was the point behind that? That everybody's equal in the eyes of justice? Well, I guess it will be treated equally. You know, oh. that there's no preferences given. Unless, of course, you're a Republican running for president. And then all bets well, are off. There was that caveat somewhere in the small print. 
when they did that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I just I get a kick out of this. I just got a news flash that said that they're now going to fine and seek criminal charges against, I believe it's X, which was formerly Twitter. And I haven't read the entire article, but it appears that the attorney general or Department of Justice is seeking a secret warrant to get into Trump's Twitter account. <laughs> uh, is this the, which attorney general or who, uh, who you know is what? I, let me take a look here. Uh, real quickly, yep, Mr. Smith is obtaining a warrant. Yes. Trying to yes. go after, he's saying it's obstruction of justice. Or no, obstruction of vote counting. Boy, that's calling the kettle black, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. he's, where, where he's, he's trying to get a secret, secret warrant. Well, that was the thing that was most ridiculous about the most recent four count indictment that, you know, relates to them charging, almost trying to charge Trump with sedition because he questioned the results of the election. It's like, what were all the incidents involving ballot fraud, ballot boxes being harvested, you know, whatever? Mm-hmm. happening on the Republican side. We're not very good at it. Yeah, well, I don't recall hearing that in any election cycle, even in the hotly contested last couple on our side. To me, it's just, it's kind of funny and saddening how, I think, first off, the whole thing is making a mockery of, number one, our electoral system, number two, our judicial system. I mean, if you can get away with these shenanigans here, it's not a whole lot different than, as you pointed out, those banana republics. I mean, the next thing we know, they'll be fine firing RPGs into people's limousines. I mean, it's a certainly more expedient method of taking care of the problem than you end up with like, what was his name? Alienda, Alenda, down in South America. (laughs) He goes out for a ride, somebody pulls in front of him and problem solved. I mean, we're not far from that. We're probably a lot closer than we would like to admit, frankly. That's the scary part of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Mr. Weaver, we have essentially reached the top of our hour here. I want to tease our next show. We're going to talk about Joe Biden's position on gas, natural gas, that is, and let's say criminalizing the use of gas ranges in your home. So anyhow, thank you again for listening. And until next time, this is Adam Von Romer and Jeff Weaver with the Omaha Bugle Global News Network. 